Hello and welcome to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. So welcome back to Energy and Efficiency with Emily. Today we have Travis on with us and he is going to talk to us a little bit more about a different climate zone other than you're used to hearing climate zone six because, you know, that's where we are here in Maine. So um, I reached out this whole month. We're going to talk about climate, both climate change and designing for the specific climate that you're in. So Travis, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're at, what climate zone you're in, and we'll go from there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my name is Travis Brungart. Uh, I live in basically Kansas City. Um, to be truthful, it's Prairie Village, Kansas, but we're a small suburb of Kansas City on the Kansas side. Um, I run Catalyst Construction with one partner. Uh, my friend Joe Cook and I have run that for 12 years plus. And then we have a couple of guys that we try to self-perform. We do a lot of remodeling uh, additions, um, roof off, additions off the back, master suites, kitchens, stuff like that. So um, that's how we stay busy, but we self-perform most of our stuff. So we're extremely busy. We're licensed in all the trades. So we tend to be very slow <laughs> and very meticulous, uh, but that's how we like it. So that's a good fit for us. And uh, yeah, that's, that's me. I think uh, there's a lot to be said for slow and meticulous and taking your time. And um, one of my favorite statements, and people hear me say this on the podcast all the time, is I had a builder say to me once, you know, there's never enough money or time to do it right the first time, but there's always enough money and time to redo it when you do it wrong. And it, like, that just sticks with me. Like, you know, why don't we take that extra, you know, half a step, do it a little bit better. You know, we talk about, um, you know, different builders. People ask me for builder recommendations and I'll say, you know, this builder will get you here. This builder will get you here. I have this other builder who, you know, their crew has just learned how to air seal. And like right. all their stuff just comes in at 0.5 air changes per hour, 0.12 he did one with Mike. I mean, that's just crazy tight. I mean, that's what less than one quarter worth of holes throughout the whole <laughs> right. building, it's like ridiculous. one quarter size. That's crazy. Um, and so there's a lot to be said for doing it meticulously. Um, and from my point of view, we do a lot of integrated design, which means I try to do what you do, but they don't all, they're not all on my team. So you get all your subcontractors together and then you right. hope they're all doing and buying into this idea that you want. And then, you know, you have one who, who blows a hole through something or, you know, the roofer comes and um, what was a really nice fully adhered weather barrier now has quarter size holes from where they right. put their staging in the side of the building, you know, and so. Um, Exhausting. It is. And so what made you guys get to the level where you started doing everything in-house versus a lot of subcontractor work? Uh, it was probably six or seven years ago, we decided to license all, in all the trades. So a little, I guess I'll give you a little more background. Um, I got into the trades in my mid-20s. Uh, I came from doing uh, photography, mostly construction documentation, but documentation photography and then uh, realized that that was changing rapidly. Uh, I think I mentioned before we got started that I'm not super tech heavy. I don't love spending time in front of a screen. And when they went from the dark room to the desktop, I got real uncomfortable. Like I love being in the dark room and that was where I really shined. I was technically proficient. And then I was like, I don't wanna learn a new software every three weeks. This is not a good spot for me. So 
uh, I got into uh, electrical work and then found a remodeler uh, here in the Kansas City area that was really small. Um, kind of a similar deal to what our company is now. We basically didn't subcontract anything. We just had mm -hmm. one or two guys that knew how to do everything. And so we did everything, which was great when we were, you know, framing roofs and building cabinets, but not so much when we were hanging wallpaper. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there, there's a good and bad with that. Um, but that was kind of how I cut my teeth in the trades was learning to have my hands in every single thing and controlling the outcome uh, is really satisfying. Um, yeah. It's not very much fun to go and see someone's work and be like, oh, I could have done that better. And I paid a premium for that. Great. Let me fix it on my dime. Great. Isn't that the worst? <laughs> and you so find yourself... Kind of you know, as a general contractor, then because you've had your hand in everything and you know a little bit about every part that you're, you're, you're like, okay, I'm paying myself now to follow up on what everybody else is doing. And so, you know, that, that gets old too. It does very, very quickly. And that's how we ended up, like I said, five or six years ago, my partner, Joe, and I just decided, you know what, we're, we're sick of fixing stuff for free and paying someone to do something wrong and then having to apologize to our client for something that we could have done better. And if they catch it before we do, and it's super embarrassing. So we just decided to bring everything in house. And that also gives us the leeway to, I don't know, I guess to say we move money around uh, is a little bit blanket, but that's really kind of what we do because there's not a lot of passion from our clientele here in the Midwest to save energy and to really build tight and focus on efficiencies. Um, they're like most markets, I suspect they care about square footage. They care about finishes. Um, there's no one asking me about interior quality. I've never yeah. had a client ask me about that yet. Yeah. Been in the business a really long time. So they will start asking about that. And that's actually a question that I've gotten a lot. And some people have wanted me to talk about that more on the podcast. They're like, well, how do you get into it? You know, how are you only doing energy efficient stuff? And I said, well, one, I talk about it a lot. So people, yeah. anybody who, you know, has met me, has come across me, has either, you know, knows somebody that knows me or, you know, has read something on my website or or whatever. And so they know, they've heard me talk about it. Um, we are starting to have a lot more people in Maine kind of influx from other areas where they're trying to get out of like bad air quality. You know, they're coming from the city and they want to live in Maine. Like they came to Maine and they were like, oh my goodness, the air quality here is so great outside, you know. Um, but but they've not maybe- my old leaky house. <laughs> yeah, it's not my old leaky house. Well, we have a whole lot of those too. But, um, you yeah. know, so, so people are starting to ask about it. So you, you sort of- stop doing other things, which you're actually in a great position to do is people don't come to me and they're like, oh, I want a double stud wall with cellulose in it and I want it to perform at this level and blah, blah, blah. They come, to the me, they come to me and they say, I want, you know, because we follow the pretty good house standard. They either have heard of pretty good house and they're like, I want the best house that I can financially afford to build. Or I want a passive house. I want a net zero house. I want a house that has good indoor air quality because that's coming. People are starting to ask about that. The healthcare industry is is really starting to push people to start thinking about their health and preventative things. And, you know, we spend 95% of our time indoors and people are starting to hear that. Like you spend a lot of time inside, think about inside. Um, yeah. But they're they're coming to us specifically for that, but, but not to know how to do it like the how to is sort of on us and so um i like to say or uh, um 
you know, I've heard other people say like the building shell is mine. I will do what I want with that. You can do what you want in the middle. Um, and then it just takes a little bit of explaining, but you know, if I can say, I can save you enough money to put in a granite countertop in a year or two, that's easy to fix. If you put, you know, bad insulation and don't do a good job air sealing, that is nearly impossible to fix. You won't do it yep. for 30 years and it's going to cost you $2,000, $3,000 a year to live that way. And then all of a sudden the dollars and cents start making sense. You know, and for me, I do energy. Yeah, I do energy modeling. And so if it's a design that I've done, we'll do an energy model on it so that we kind of know the performance um, level of it. I've done a little bit of consulting for other people um, doing energy models on things that they've done as well. But um, that's where you can really start to see. So I had a client, the budget came back in higher than they wanted to spend because everybody everybody wants more than, than they can afford. And they said, well, you know, what, what will it save us to build this code built, you know, and the contractor's like, uh, you know, that'll be here. And he's like, I mean, I don't really want to build it code built. He's like, but what's the savings difference? And what we really found out was the difference between building code built and building, uh, to net zero standards wasn't that big of a difference in percentage cost but the savings were huge and there were some things that it was just like, well, we'll definitely do this and not do that. But it goes back to the whole integrated design process, which was some of the things that we could save money on. were just switching from, you know, an ICF foundation to rigid insulation on the interior of a standard foundation, which that contractor was more comfortable with. And I'm like, okay, those are those conversations we need to have. If that's going to save us $8,000, then yes, all day long, I can make that work in my energy model. You know, this isn't us going back to code. This is just kind of thinking the mindset. So for you guys, there's probably things that you've done enough times that you know, we can do this cost effectively. Yeah, all of our air sealing, we include all of our, um, what I consider upgraded insulation choices and upgraded lighting is just standard. Those yeah. are, that's easy stuff. I don't have to fight with a client on that at all. Right. If I would tell them, hey, you know, I'm a huge rock wool guy. I love mineral wool. I think it's a carpentry background. It's, it's dense, it's easy to cut. You can do a great job installing it. So um, that's kind of my go-to. Yeah. And I don't really have to discuss or defend that to the client. Yep. Um, if they, if they give me that little twinkle in the eye where I can tell they actually are interested in knowing about it, yeah. I can tell them all about it. And then they get fired up. They're like, Oh, it's fireproof. I'm like, yeah, it's the least useful property that you should care about. But yes, it is it's super <laughs> cool that I can show you with a torch. If the house is on fire though, this will not put out the studs that are between the bats. You right. know? Yeah. It's but kind still, of yeah, like, that's really cool. The vapor open cool. properties are big. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's just it is in your climate zone. Are you treating a lot of vapor issues? You know, is that, yeah, your I'm always baffled fight? by you guys in cold climates. In fact, uh, we have Randy Williams from, uh, the Northern built pro is coming down in a couple of weeks to speak at our conference. And I'm super excited because he is like you dealing with cold weather and vapor drive stuff that I don't ever have to think about. Yeah. And so it's like a whole new world of stuff to learn. Um, because yeah, here we don't have to, like, I have torn out so many, uh, basement drywall finishes with poly behind them and black mold sludge on the back of the plastic and then bats that are full of nasty. I'm like, I don't understand why anyone thought this was a good idea. And then I'll read that, oh, it's a great idea up north. Like, Hey, poly, 
yeah, by all means, let's stop the vapor right on the back of the drywall. I'm like, really? All I can see is mold with that. So it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm excited to learn about that stuff. But here, we don't really want any vapor closed assembly because we get super cold and super hot and we're always super humid, except yeah. for a couple months in the winter. So I'm always trying to figure out ways to make sure that everything's drying both ways whenever it wants to and however it can benefit from being drier. I'm all in. Yeah. Well, since nine months of the year, we heat. That's sort of the joke here. Um, <laughs> we have three seasons, winter, mud season, and black fly season, <laughs> or otherwise known, as, otherwise known as road construction. <laughs> where they fix all of the rest of the stuff. And, um, you know, there are a lot of people who do vapor closed assemblies with the vapor barrier on the inside because nine months of the year we, we are heating. So we're trying to keep the vapor transfusion from in to out versus the other way. Right. Um, a lot of us uh, do double stud walls and do vapor open in both directions. Once you have a really thick wall, you, you have to start getting a little bit more creative because yeah. a vapor closed assembly in one direction is that wall is too thick. It, you know, isn't going to. So then it goes back in, in, you know, now last it's reservoir. <clears throat> yes, now it's reservoir. And it, and especially in, you know, the, the first year of building when everything is still wet, your materials are wet and everything you're trapping yep. vapor then kind of in the middle. And you do have, I would say we only have two weeks of really high humidity where it's warm enough outside it's even warm enough you know it does it's like 80 degrees and 100 percent humidity but you're only yes. cooling it to maybe 70 and like 90 percent of mainers are just like we'll suffer for those two weeks and we'll leave the windows open so it's kind of not even a thing um yeah versus the negative 15 degrees and keeping it to 65 or 70 inside is yeah. a huge transfer um and so february usually being the worst month and then so finishing a house in the winter time and this thing is completely saturated and then flu season comes around and people are like oh it can't be really dry in here because you know it's flu season and dry you know doesn't make me feel well and then humidifiers come out and it's like no 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 wait 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 oh, it's you know making it worse <laughs> yeah yeah so so a lot of us are uh you know that's been the you read on green building advisor vapor to vapor barrier or not to vapor barrier and a lot of us yeah. don't do it. <laughs> so, um, right. you know, I uh, like Rockwell. Rockwell is a very uh, vapor open assembly. What's your air infiltration rate? Like, what are you attempting to go for as far as air changes? This is where we get really dicey because so much of our work is remodeling and so yeah. much of it is adding additions onto homes that are 100 years old. Yeah. Where I can walk downstairs into basements. We have basements here. Yeah. Uh, and see daylight through the rim all the way around. <laughs> oh, you know. Yeah. So because I I consider it a victory if I can get someone to let me seal their rim joist. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to get them to let me punch holes in all their beautiful plaster walls. Right. And blow cellulose in. A lot of the stuff around here from that era at least is balloon framed. Yeah. So that's really dicey. There's a ton of knob and tubes. So I can't, in, in that era of home anyway, yeah. I can't responsibly start insulating things. Like, oh, for uh, sure. Yeah, I'm an electrician. So I, I know, I'm like, yeah, this is, 
I know some people say it's okay. It is an intrinsically safe system until you encapsulate it in something that can be damp and connect the circuit. So it's a, a tough thing for us. We don't really get to walk in and tell our clients, okay, here's our, um, here's our list of goals for your project that you don't care about. And the ones that are the most expensive are the ones that I really want you to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we, can, if we can air seal our edition uh, well, um, I consider it a victory. And then of course we insulate the hell out of it and air sealing is only useful, uh, or excuse me, insulation is only useful if you've air sealed. So we start with that and work our way up, but I don't have a, a number that I'm shooting for. Um, yep. We're working on a couple of houses that we're hoping to build in the coming year that I think we can easily get uh, to 0.5. Yeah. Um, just based on what I've seen, I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of buddies with Jake Bruton and through him, I met Matt Blomquist who does that build, learn, te uh, build, learn, teach site um, in Naper Naperville, Illinois. Okay. So I went with Jake to uh, Blower Door, the, I guess you'd say the project house for Matt and his kids. Uh, I guess that was just last week because I, I had never run a blower, to, blower door before. Um, it's not required around here. Uh, they're still allowing prescriptive path. And as I said, we don't build a lot of new home, so there's not really a call for it. Like, I guess I could tape off this doorway to the beautiful addition that I built and just test my stuff. But yeah. I know that the whole house is leaky as hell and they're only going to let me seal so much of it with their budget. So I don't, I don't get to do that stuff. So I got to do this blower door test with uh, Jake and he kind of showed me the way around the retro tech and Matt was showing me the details that his kids did. These kids, high school kids, first house they'd ever built, you know, working a couple hours a day. They hit 0.58 uh, with really simple stuff. No crazy European tapes and gaskets, nothing bizarre. Marvin windows, two by six wall, zip R. I mean, it's just basically tape and time, caulking and caring. I mean, it's that, it's that simple. And that's really encouraging to me. That's one of the reasons I like Jake. It's like, go to the lumber yard. What do they have? Okay, that's what we're going to use to make the house perfect. And then you just go and do it by caring, which is kind of the business model that we already have set up. We're really meticulous, so it works really well for us. It doesn't have to be uh, Trimco, acoustical sealant. It can be Sashco Big Stretch, and you can get right there. So that's, I guess, that's our path is to just do the absolute very best that we can on everything that we touch, make it way better than anything uh, that they were expecting. And hopefully something that helps us sleep at night, you know, helps me think that I'm leaving the world better for my kids to live in uh, is kind of the way we, we do our work. Yeah, no, and I'm really glad that you brought that up and you talked about uh, renovations because that's come up a lot. So um, when you're talking about climate change, a lot of people are like, absolutely, we got to work on the existing housing stock that we have and make yes. that better. And there's, there's a whole big yes right there, especially with the types of buildings that you're coming into contact with. Maine has a lot of the same, um, you know, we have some of the oldest housing stock in the country. So like, right. yeah, let's do some renovation on that. But then the question also comes up, like, at what point do you stop doing more? You know, and like you said, you could tape off this doorway and find out what I did in my addition. And the addition that you build, yeah, you should do it the best that you can. Absolutely. We all fully agree with that. But like you said, there could be knob and tube in the walls. There could be, um, we've talked a lot at the building science discussion groups, uh, BS and beer, um, about you can't kind of seal over things. People like spray foam. We're, we're personally not uh, on the spray foam boat, uh, you know, I'm with you. <laughs> Gotta get rid of the foams and stuff. But 
Right. You can't spray foam the inside of something, especially the old balloon framing and everything, because what, you don't know what's on the outside if you don't take off the siding. You know, we've had people who are like, oh, they put grace and water shield all over the whole outside of the house because they had a water issue. And I'm like, you know, you could be sealing it. I mean, you have no idea. And so, um, you know, deep energy retrofits are great, but they're usually really expensive. And eventually you'll get to the point where you're using more greenhouse gases, more carbon emissions yes. by trying to deep energy retrofit an existing home than you would have if you would have said, hey, let's do the best that we can. Here are the materials we're going to use. We're going to tell you have to replace the, the siding. Okay, yeah, maybe we'll take a WRB that's fully adhesive and cover over all your skip boards. So there isn't, you know, a quarter inch hole between everyone. <laughs> well, like, like, yeah, you know, and that was great. Those houses dried right out. They were probably tinder boxes. They catch on fire. They burn like nothing, but they also were dry. They never had moisture issues. They didn't rot out. And so there's something to be said for that. So you have an old 1800s farmhouse, air sealing and insulation is going to go a long way all day long. You have a 1980s house that was built with kind of cheap fiberglass and wasn't air sealed very well. There's not a lot we can do to help you fix that. Yeah, it's bad, but like, I don't know. <laughs> making it better is almost worse. Yeah. I mean, with the, the life cycle analysis stuff on the carbon stuff, man, you, that is such a scary deep dive when you start yeah. actually running the numbers and like, okay, so I'm going to save this much energy if I do this thing. And that's great. That's a really yeah. good step forward. Now, how do I get there? Oh yeah. I have to use all of this energy to manufacture the products to improve that. Yeah. Oh, and it all has to get trucked there. Right. And I also have to install it and I have to throw away all the stuff that is on top of what I need to access because I can't reuse it. I can't reinstall it. Right. Um, I mean, that stuff's heartbreaking to me. Like I, I'm up nights thinking about like, Oh, I'd really like to make this better. What do I have to do to get there? Oh, I have to make it way worse. It'll never pay back. Like that's yeah. why I'm such a Martin holiday guy. Like that's what I loved about Martin was he would always tell you everything you wanted to know. And then he would say, and what you should really do is find a way to stay in the house and not build that new thing out of that extra material that we don't need to mine and mill and transport. Just make it better, stay there, keep trying, and you're doing more for the environment by not building that great new thing that you want to build. Right. Which is a really hard sell to a client and really bad for my business. <laughs> you know, you do. I know it is terrible. Uh, you know, we often say like building is a luxury and like you hate to say is. that, but it's the truth. It's a luxury. And yeah, we should be only building, you know, new stuff that's as good as we possibly can, which means that that puts some people out of the realm of what they can afford. But at the same time, there are some pretty simple things that we can do to translate between code built and pretty good house. And so, yes. you know, that's where, where we've been trying to go and get people on board. And, you know, I love Steve at Performance Building Supply here is like, you know, I'm happy to help like cover the gap, cover the details. Like, yeah. you know, you're, when you think passive house and all that, your air barrier and should be on the inside and it should be consistent with the thermal barrier. But you know what? It's really easy to create an air barrier with your WRB. And so, you know, as long as it's vapor open and it's letting the vapor out from the inside, well, hey, this is a better option. And you know, how do we connect yeah. to this all together? And that's not that hard because if you pull up Tyvek, you can staple up a 
vapor open WRB. And honestly, the fully adhered ones are kind of like sticky tape. They're sort of a pain if you're more than one story in the air, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, and um, as a remodeler, I have a real opposition to self-adhered stuff. It, yeah. It's really problematic. Like, oh, I need to add this window. How am I going to integrate? I want to be under that. I guess I add more sticky stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, at some point, you, and then you're worried about like, well, is the chemistry from this new version of their product backward compatible with their old stuff? Is it going to eat this? Yep. Did I just void the warranty on their install? You know, what did I, did I help my customer or not? You know, yeah. it's really hard. Uh, so it's great to have assets like performance building supply and people there that really care and have done the research that, yeah. I mean, those are our industry partners. That's who we rely on down here. We've got a great lumber yard and people that, I mean, they're, they're taking care of us, making sure that we don't make a mistake that makes it worse for the client or, you know, not totally uh, <laughs> altruistic. I, I also don't want to be sued and be bankrupt. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, and, you know, building science is fairly new in the building construction realm. You know, we've maybe only been doing this 30, 40 years as opposed to people have been building forever. And so, you know, there are going to be things that we're going to try that are bad. I mean, back in the 70s, they were like, yeah, we're going to tighten everything up. And then they created sick building syndrome because they strapped all that stuff inside. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, and so some of it gets a, a bad name. And I think it's partially why the building industry seemed to halt for a while and everybody just did whatever they wanted you know and now we're sort yeah. of back to like oh yeah we know we we really should have pushed through that and thought about it a little bit more and yeah. you know done a little bit more because i think um mike does a great presentation on pretty good house and we're gonna build new york city every 34 days right. for the next like i don't 40 years or something it's crazy and so like, yeah so we're just building all this stuff it's like oh if we're gonna build all that stuff then you know we should we should really be, you know, paying attention to what we're building. So, um, sure. It's always yeah. fascinating to me to talk to somebody in a slightly different climate zone because you have a different way of approaching it and you have a different way that you have to look at your structures based on what you have. And that's one of the things that I've explained to a lot of people. So, they'll come, they'll be like, I found this plan set online. And I'm like, well, like maybe. I mean, look at it. Yeah, I'm I'm all for semi-customizable plan sets. I'd love to get something off the ground. Bob and I are working on this uh, other thing called the Good House Guild where where you would have plan sets that would be available for your specific climate zone oh, and then it would nice. also try to coordinate you with an energy professional in that area as part of the plan Ooh, set that, that you bought be. so that you could make sure that you're getting all of the target performance that you want because there's nothing That's more really frustrating than being a homeowner and saying, well, I thought I bought this zero energy plan set, but then, you know, I took it here and got it built and, you know, they put in these heat pumps and they don't get above 55 degrees in the winter time. <laughs> like that's not living, you know, so, so just yeah. kind of having this knowledge base is, you know, um, I love with Bob and efficiency, Vermont, efficiency, Vermont takes care of a lot of that. They'll send mm -hmm. out, you know, energy professionals to take a look at all the different things. I was like, Oh, wouldn't that be, a, that would be a luxury in Maine, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, you guys have it pretty good up there in the Northeast because there is, or at least it looks like it from afar. It looks like there is a lot of enthusiasm about energy savings. And then that kind of trickles into being able to, to sell someone on an energy audit. Um, yeah. You asked me to find an energy auditing company here in town that I had a, a long standing relationship with. I can't there. People get excited about it and they gear up and, you know, they open one and, you know, they staff up and then 
there's just not the demand. It's really frustrating. We can't get people. Um, and part of it is, you know, we're in a good economic time. You know, there's not a lot of people that are going, gosh, I can't afford to stay in my house unless I fix this. Right. So what's my entry cost to do that? There's just not that much enthusiasm about it. So it really comes down to us as people that, I mean, I'm getting called into people's houses to look at something they don't like about it. They want to make better. And so I'm kind of introducing that, like, it's not a backdoor thing, but it's definitely a, it's a third rail topic most of the time where I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm really excited about your, your master suite and I'm, we're going to do this tile. It's going to be great. Yeah. We can definitely do heated floor. Now, what about your rim joist? You know, it's like <laughs> that, that little bit of low hanging fruit is really my only in. Yeah. And then to, to be able to push it to the standard that you guys are doing up there. I mean, I've never had anyone that I know or know of in 600 miles do a deep energy retrofit or even have someone ask them about it. Yeah. Now, I would like to do it. I'm interested in it, but it's really tough to turn someone's ideas from, Oh yeah, I'm going to have this, uh, this wolf range and I definitely need the commercial hood to go with it. Um, and then yeah, the sub zero is going to be on this wall. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really good. I really think that when you cook once a year, you will, uh, <laughs> enjoy the luxury of those items. Is there any way that we could talk about doing something that would be way better for the planet? And there's just not a whole lot of enthusiasm for it. So that's one of the things that Catalyst, my, uh, my company with Joe, we're looking to get into more in the coming years um, is sort of not subversively pressing energy issues, but we're going to go ahead and pursue the uh, HERS rating and basically include an energy audit with all of our work and just make it Make it like the LED lighting, make it like um, air sealing. It's just, it's just in there. And yeah. you don't want to talk about it, I won't bring it up. And if you do want to talk about it, client, I'll talk about it until it's time to go home. Yeah. And that's basically what I did is, you know, as an architect, I was always interested in it. I did lead way back in like 2006 when there was only lead for new construction. And then I realized that that only really worked well, I think, in commercial buildings. I agree. The lead for homes never really caught on. People didn't quite understand the value of it. I mean, you can still do it, but I'm, you know, not seeing as much of the value. Um, Energy Star more so. People who are building homes seem to understand energy star as a program because you can walk into any Lowe's or home Depot and see the energy star label on every appliance. And so it's kind of like <laughs> Chinese water torture maybe. Um, and, right. and their appliance stuff is, it seems to be their bread and butter, but you, you know, you say energy star homes and they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I can get behind get that idea. That? Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and so I got into hers rating cause I was like, we, you know, we need to start showing people some of these, these differences. And yeah. so, um, when I got licensed in New York, the, the gentleman was like, wait, you're an architect and a hers writer. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen that. And I'm like, that's kind of sad. Like, yeah. you know, it, it was like, we should, we should all be doing that. But that was again at the point where I just started saying, Oh, this is what we do. And this is how we build. And this is yeah. you know what we started to do and started taking some of those energy things because, you know, if people who are building down the coast and they'll build 4,000 square foot houses and they're like, you know, the client never says anything to us about spray foaming the whole structure. And I'm like, they'll pay for spray foam. And I'm like, first of all, stop spray foaming 4,000 square foot houses. Oh, like that's yeah. just terrible. 
terrible. But if they're not questioning you about it and that's just a line item, then we can be doing so much better because we can oh, be building better houses for less money than that. Yeah. And, you know, be making a huge improvement. And so that was when I started to kind of realize that we needed to decouple this idea of like you having a I don't want to say you having a say in the exterior structure, but like, you you know, like the, buying out of the equation. Yeah. Like the, cl the client's never going to argue with you on the structure of how it's held up, you know, it goes yeah. back, you know, if, if you say we need a beam here, they go, okay. And you're like, we could do it with the LVL. It'll be this much or a steel beam. It'll be this much, you know, and they can make that decision, but you're like, we need a beam here to hold this up. I will Not never sure. question you on that. And so, you know, let's get back to where the professionals are like, this is how the wall structure is built. What would you like inside of this? You know, um, and it's again, my mission to, to get people to stop talking about square footage, like, Yes. Square footage is not a way that we should be evaluating anything. I don't care what the market says. And in fact, I'm finding a lot here is that the market is trying to say that people need 2,500 square feet. And I keep getting people all day long who are like, there are no small houses available that are smaller. I don't need 2,500 square feet. They just aren't here. Nobody's building them. And I'm like, okay, Let's build a community of smaller houses, multi-generational living, and that's what people want. And it, you know, it, it's amazing. But we have three bedroom, two and a half bath farmhouse that's like just around 1,700 square feet. And people walk into it all the time and they're like, there's no way this house is that small. And I'm like, but it is. Uh -huh. you know? And you, you thought you needed 2,500 square feet. Here's almost a thousand square feet less in a family home. I was like, we can get even smaller than that. Right now I'm working on, I think it's like 1,200 square feet, three bedroom, uh, one and a half bath house. And very efficient. It, it works fine. It's very efficient. Two stories, more like a cube, you know, it's, <laughs> and so I think we just need to get past this whole idea of square footage as a notion. And there's nothing I hate worse than walking into these big houses and be like, what are you supposed to do with this space right here? Like this one, right. you know, like the top of the stairs. Right. It's like not quite a room, not quite a hallway, just yeah. sort of oh, is. Well, this is our library. This is where we're going to sit and hang out and read our books. I'm like, well, that's an imaginary fairy tale and right. it never happens. You will <laughs> wish you had the square footage not conditioned for 50 years not invested in thousands of dollars in finishes for the space. Yeah. Uh, it just goes on and on. I think that's a cultural problem though. Like yes. I, was, I was fortunate, I got to travel with my wife. She's way more important than I am. And we ended up in Spain a couple weeks ago. Nice. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't go anywhere. So it was really nice. <laughs> I was very lucky. Um, but I was really taken, not just with the old world craftsmanship. I mean, everything being made out of stone 600 years ago and still, oh yeah, it's in great shape. Uh, Right. I was taken with the doors. I've taken all these pictures of just the front doors again and again. I'm like this is a three to four inch thick door that's eight feet tall with no protection, no awning, no, no reasonable way that it's still here. And it's several hundred years old. And then I realized it looks this good because someone just cares about it. Like, yeah. Because the families tend to pass their housing down from generation to the next. It's, you know, the son feels responsible to the father to be out there refinishing the door and on and on. And his daughter takes it on and she wants to make sure that her grandkids have that same door. And that's their approach to living is that it's not a throwaway society. It's, it's durability for the sake of caring about other people, not even 
they're not worried about saving money. Like no one over there is going, oh, you know, we really don't want to buy that $800 door at the Home Depot and throw it in. It's like, right. no, this is a, this is your great, great grandfather's hand carved detail. Right. That egg and dart. Every single one's different. Every right. single one's just a little bit different because that's the level of care or the, the sun was on his neck that day and he worked a little faster. So that one's a little smaller than the others. It's just that kind of care. I don't see it here and I want to, right. but I think that has to come from us. It can't be about selling square footage. It can't be like, I can't tell you how many times I go into someone's house to talk to them about their project. And I'm really excited about it. Like I'm all in, I love it. I want their family to grow up in this house and I want to come back and visit them and see their kids go off to college and be like, yes, we did a great thing. You know, we kept your family in this house and it was a beautiful space and you loved it and it loved you back. Yeah. That's inspiring to me. And then they go, so where's this going to put us on resale? Yeah, I know. I said, don't know, don't care. You know, if you're doing this for someone else, then you should go and find them, consult them on what they want, and I'll do exactly that. Because otherwise, whenever someone buys your house, they're going to tear all this stuff out and redo it. Everybody mm -hmm. wants to put their stamp on it. Everyone wants their colors. It's got to be made into their home. And I get that. I'm the same way. I want stuff to be my way, too. I'm, not, I'm no better. Right. But I do think it's a societal problem that we almost have to solve generation, uh, generationally and incrementally in that way. And that will be the paring down of the house. It's not going to be about energy prices. Energy's cheap. It, that's why we're in the carbon mess. So if we right. get people to start thinking about what's a comfortable space to be in, like, do you need a 22 foot ceiling in your entryway? The space that you pass through on your way to where you're going to spend time in a cozy space with your friends and loved ones. I mean, I don't, and I really don't want to build you the double spiral stair up to the landing that overlooks that for that one time when your daughter's going to prom and you're going to take that cool picture, like, man, can we just Photoshop that? Is that the one time that it's okay? There's got to be somewhere picture? you can go and yes. have that photo taken, right? Yeah. No, I am in. I remember. That's not I'm the family photo. The family photo is around the, the table playing Pictionary or some stupid board game. Yeah. The, the trip where they went to the cabin and everyone got dirty in the mud or whatever. That's the, that's the memory. The memory isn't the staged thing that doesn't matter. And we right. can't get away from that as a culture. We're really married to those ideas. Like, ah, uh, that's where the arms race is still alive is in like my family appearing like we're affluent and doing well and getting better. And I, oh, I really want out of that race. I don't like to see it. I don't want to, I don't want any part of it. <laughs> Yeah, no. In fact, we're in the same boat here. And um, we just had one of our projects photographed and it made it on the cover of Decor Magazine, which we're really proud of. But, Is that the barn door um, one? That yes. Showed? That's really pretty. Nice yeah. shot. And so uh, Patrice, who's the contractor there, is also a trained designer. So we've created this collaborative. We have a landscape architect uh, who, who does all of our land work because I can't tell you how bad it is to not have a really well-graded piece of property when you it's build a brutal. new house, right? Sure. You know, it's brutal. And so, you know, and that leads on to, you know, how do you want to experience your site and all of that? Because that's important. Like, you know, people are like, oh, I don't want to buy this house because it's a front drive up garage. Well, like maybe we could have fixed that. Or um, there's one, you know, neighborhood, which is a senior's neighborhood, 55 plus, but every single house faces north. And like the, the person that I know is like, yeah, we couldn't live there. There's no sunlight in any of these houses right. and your driveway would never melt. And like, you know, yep. there's all this stuff. And so 
going through, but um, with Patrice, because she's a trained designer and she's just into a lot of that stuff is dumpster diving, salvage, like old newel posts. I mean, barn yeah. boards. Um, uh, our carpenter had to go to the hospital because he got a nail stuck in him when he was pulling all those old rusty nails out of all the old yeah. barn boards, you know, and you pick and choose where they go. We have old um, metal framed windows that we reglazed that were in an old factory. You can't use them in the exterior of a building anymore but we certainly can use them on the inside we do all kinds of stuff with like transom windows that you oh, yeah. old farmhouse windows that we just put in in between spaces you know it lets light from the office into the half bath which is a small space or you know like just some creative ideas um there's actually that's how you're solving that small square footage problem though you're you're making that aesthetic of the big house in the small space. It in still feels open space. and light and you're doing yeah. a great job with that. That's awesome. And we do everything where we track the pattern of the sun throughout the day. So we know where you're going to hang out in the house. I mean, those are the oh. cool things. That's why you want to be here. You want to sit next to that window and you know, you're an early riser. We're going to put your bedroom on the East side of the house. So you rise with the sunrise, you know, there's, there's all those things where we're trying to add durability into these structures so that you want to live there in a hundred years, your that's family the, still wants to live in this house. And so, um, that's the aspect of durability that isn't in the science textbook. It really is in the hands of the designer to get to know the patterns of the person who's going to occupy the space. Right. And it becomes durable because they don't want to leave that house. Right. They want to fix it. They want to keep it up. They want to take, it's taking care of the front door. Exactly. It's the same thing. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So, so that's what we're doing. But anyway, I don't want to keep you. I know you are a busy guy and you got a lot going on. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast and talking to us about your climate zone, what you guys are up to. Um, and we'll, I'm sure we'll try to rope you into coming back on again, talk more about I would love science. To. It was so. a pleasure to speak with you. I would be happy to visit with you anytime. I don't feel like I really talked about any of my projects, just a bunch of philosophical stances. So hopefully yeah. I didn't turn anyone off, but I really appreciate the opportunity. Nice. No, hey, that's, I think the word that we got to get out there is, you know, what's the philosophy behind why we're doing this, you know? And I think that's great. We'll get you back on. We'll talk about projects. We're going to follow the pretty good house all uh, all of 2020. So there'll be insulation at some point. There'll be, there'll be all kinds of things to talk about and extending the pretty good house, you know, for me outside of just climate zone six, where that's where we started it, but it's yep. not just an issue for climate zone six. It's, you know, everywhere. So let's talk about it everywhere. But thank you for Look being on. Thank you again. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please like, share, or subscribe to it here on Apple iTunes. Leave us a review. If you've been listening to it on my website, leave us a comment on any of the episodes. And if there's something specific you'd like to hear about, send me an email, emily at matramarch.com. Thanks, and we'll see you again next week.